You're listening to the Lore and Legend Halloween Specials. This is the tale of the Warlock. fearsome of might, the death that I must die. Ah, but you bear a charmed life, will you hold the life of me? Against lance and arrow, sword and knife, I shall your warrant be. No forged steel, nor hempen band, shall ever your limbs confine. Till threefold ropes of sifted sand, around your body twine. If danger you press, not thrice on chest, with rusty padlocks bound. Turn away your eyes when the lid shall rise, and listen to the sound. It was a chilly October evening when May was out walking near Hermitage Castle. If you've never seen Hermitage Castle, it's very imposing. A huge monolithic front wall rears up over the heath, and the same high uninterrupted stone forms all four of its sides. There is no subtlety to Hermitage. Whatever it guards, it guards ferociously. May knew what it guarded. Hermitage had been the prison of cruel Lord Solus as long as she could remember. It was said that, coveting the throne of Scotland for himself, he had conspired against Robert the Bruce. While many of his fellow conspirators had been hung, the Black Parliament had spared his life for reasons known only to themselves. He had always been a cruel and merciless lord, and the people of Hermitage Village would have been glad to see him hung. They certainly never went near the castle. Yet May's cat had run off around dinner time, and she couldn't go home until she brought little Morgan back. She spotted Morgan by the broken stones of Hermitage's boundary wall, and she hurried up to fetch him. But he disappeared into the castle grounds regardless. When May reached the wall, she hesitated. She couldn't see Morgan, and she tried calling him over and over. She realised that she would have to go in to find him. It was not really Solus that frightened her most of all. The stories all said that he wielded some horrible dark magic, the magic he would have used to strike down the Bruce. He 
he might be locked inside the castle, but whatever powers he consorted with were locked in with him too. Finally, May saw Morgan up by the castle walls, and she broke into a run to retrieve him. It was when she came up near the wall that she felt hands seize her shoulders. She shrieked and began to struggle, but the soldier who grasped her just ignored it. May was marched into Hermitage Castle. She was led through the gate. As the walls enclosed around her, a tremble clutched at her heart. She was being taken into Hermitage. Would she ever come back out? Just as she was being brought to the Great Hall, she heard the sound of voices. One of them sounded rhythmical, like it was chanting a rhyme. When the soldier knocked at the door, the rhythm stopped. The other voice gasped, and there was a slam, like a heavy wooden lid closing. Yes? A deep, angry voice demanded. May was marched in, and she saw Lord William de Solus staring back at her. Cruel Solus, the warlock lord of Hermitage. But as he saw her, his anger vanished. He smiled a wicked smile, said what a compliment it was that May had come to visit. She did not dare quarrel with him. Behind Solus, something rattled. May looked, and she saw a large wooden chest. There was no question. It was shaking all of its own accord. The Lord's eyes darted back too, but it only broke his composure for a second. He started speaking again. May was half listening, but paying far more attention to the chest when she realized he had just said that she would live here as his wife. Before she had time to think about it, she'd blurted out, But I can't. Oh? And why not? Solus asked her quite politely, but she saw his soldier reaching for his sword. She had to speak quickly. I'd be honoured to, but, but I, I'm promised to another. Once again, Solus spoke calmly. Oh, I had not realised. And what is the name of this fortunate young man? And May knew that she had made a grave error. She would not tell him. He asked politely again, and when no response came, his tone became angrier. He asked again and again until he was demanding furiously. But she would not tell him. Then his anger subsided, and he said, Well, that's all right. We'll just have to have this conversation when you're feeling more reasonable. And he had the soldier lead her away. He kept her in Hermitage Castle for three days, and in that time she was not fed once. Despite her raging hunger, she would not tell him the name of her beloved. Then, on the third day, he was dragged into the castle. Branksholm's heir, who had courted her and won her heart, 
now dragged rudely down into the dungeon. How had Solus known? May couldn't sleep that night, sick with worry for young Branksome. By the next day, she'd come up with something of a small plan. She went to Solus, and she said that she'd spoken rashly. She was not betrothed, as she'd said before, though she had been courting another. She was, she said through her tears, therefore free to marry. Never fear, my dear, Solus replied in his polite tone, but with that evil smile. I forgive you for it. Now we are to be married, let us say, next week, on the Feast of All Souls. That should give us some time to prepare. May put up no resistance to this. She even thanked him for bringing Branksome's heir here. For what a good bridesman he would make. Solus was a little taken aback, but he kept up the charade and said she was quite welcome. She followed this up. Could she have just a minute with him to let him know of the arrangement? Reluctantly, Solus agreed to let her go to the dungeon with one of his guards. As they left, May noticed the chest was no longer in the hall. It must have been moved. The soldier led her down into the dank, dark dungeon. They passed by a room on their right, guarded by a heavy door. May heard something coming from within, a rattling sound shaking a thumping like wood knocking against the hard stone floor. She stopped to see if she could hear that voice again, but the soldier pushed her onwards. They turned left and came before young Branksome's cell. May told him, with fear-widened, tear-laden eyes, that she was to marry Lord Solus. He was invited to be a bridesman if he would accept. Branksome nodded, for he seemed to understand. Finally he spoke, but quietly, so only she could hear him. Perhaps one final parting embrace? Despite the presence of the guard, May could not help herself. She stepped forward and embraced her love through the bars of the cell. The guard shouted and stepped forward to break them apart. May let go, but Branksome held her. He held her by the hand, and she held on as well for a second. And she realised he was pressing something into her hand. She clenched her fist and did not allow the guard to see it. The guard pulled her away and angrily marched her out of the dungeon. But he did not ask her to open her fist. He did not seem to realise what had taken place. As they began up the stairs, May heard that rhythmic voice again. She missed most of what it said, but thought she could hear the words, What secrets do you hide? When she returned to her room, she opened her fist. Branksome had given her a little scrap of material. A strip torn from his shirt with some blurry writing on it. He had used the only ink he had in that cell, his own blood. She couldn't read it, of course. She hadn't had the education of a nobleman. But she could make out the word hermitage. 
It must be a message to tell people where he was being held captive. Of course! She'd been seized on the castle grounds, but Solus's soldiers must have taken Branksome from near his home. Solus couldn't do that off his own grounds. He could be hung for this. But she would need to get the message out. And she had no way to leave this place. May was no longer being starved out, so later that day, Solus brought her into his hall to share the day's meal. He watched her every movement, every morsel of food that she brought to her lips, with that cruel smile upon his face. It made it quite difficult to eat. He asked questions about her, about the life they would have together. She replied to them all with brief but polite responses. That night she slept fitfully, and through it all she heard that voice chanting over and over. She awoke to a sound, but not of a voice. There was something outside the window. It sounded like the mewling of a cat. She peered down below, and there was Morgan padding around the walls, whining plaintively. It gave her an idea. After lunch, she asked Solace if she could spend a little time outside. She was allowed. Guards were placed at every exit, for her safety, of course but she didn't go anywhere near the exits. She found Morgan still beneath her window, after she'd stroked him for a while. She raised his paw just a little and tied Branksome's note to it. Now, go on home, she said, and shoot him off. The guards glanced at the cat and then lost interest, turning their gaze back to her once more. Once he got home, she knew her father would see the note he would know to raise the alarm. May did not look sad in the next few days. She didn't look happy, but she kept a very passive expression and tone when she joined Solus for dinner. He began to sit next to her, leaning in close to speak to her about when we are wed. She could feel his breath on her neck. She never turned to face him, but she dared not push him away. After their meals, Solus would go down into the dungeon. He never said why. She wanted to follow quietly behind to see what he was up to, but she couldn't risk being caught spying. She feared he might be hurting Brank's home, but the alternative might be even worse. That thing in the chest. If it knew about her betrothal to Brank's home, did it know about the note? How long could it be before Solus knew too? And yet, each day he would come out from the dungeon, and would be no different than before. Cruel, slimy, mocking, but not angry. She learned to keep down the anxiety, to betray nothing on her face. It was only that morning, the day before All Hallows Day, that she began to look nervous. No one had come to their rescue. The wedding would happen tomorrow, ignoring what might happen to her, if the king's men did not arrive, 
Young Branksholm might not make it another day. Had the message been lost somewhere? If she seemed distracted at their meal, Solus did not notice, for he was doubly so. He did not sit beside her. He did not grin wickedly at her. And far from watching her every move, he barely looked at her. He twiddled a blade in his hands, turning the point against his fingertip. He looked furious. It only made her more nervous. She half expected him to point the knife at her and reveal that he knew what she'd done. Finally, after dinner, he stormed out and headed for the dungeon, knife in hand. This time she couldn't just wait and see. She must go after him. She crept as quietly as she could down the stairs. When she reached the dungeon, she saw Solus entering the first room, behind the heavy door. That was a little relief, at least. But now that she was down there, it seemed foolish to just leave, to not see what he was saying to that creature. She stepped across the doorway silently, and, creeping behind the door, she put her eye to the door jamb. There he was, crouching over the chest from the main hall. He rapped three times upon the lid. The padlocks that held it shut simply sprang unlocked, one after another. Then, slowly, the lid rose. May could not see anything behind the lid, but she saw a shadow cast against the back wall. The creature said nothing. Solus simply jumped straight in. My scouts see the King's riders amassing on Deadwater Moor, just a few hours' ride from here. Shall I now expect the approach of danger? May's heart lightened just a little to hear that. But then the creature replied. No forged steel, no hempen band, shall ever your limbs confine, till threefold ropes of sifted sand around your body twine. You still shall bear a charmed life while you hold the life of me. Know only that danger is drawing near when you spy an oncoming tree. May's heart sank once more. Ropes of sifted sand? Oncoming trees? If this was all true, it was surely hopeless. They stood no chance against a man with charms like these. If, if, it was true. Solus at least seemed to believe it, for he calmed down, his fists unclenched. And then he asked, and Who has told them? Who has led the king's men to my door? A panic rose in May. She couldn't feel her fingers and her toes while she waited for the answer. So blind with lust that you cannot see the clues you had by the score. She who would set young blanks home free and is hidden behind that door. Solus stood and spun around. May gasped, but for a second she didn't move. And when she did, he was faster. He caught her before she reached the stairs. She'd never seen him so livid. Is that so, my bonny May? Well, you've made a terrible mistake then, haven't you? Over May's cries and struggle, the voice called from the chest. Bring her to me! No longer rhythmic, it sounded crazed and desperate. 
hear that, May? Solus asked, pressing his knife to her throat. The red cap hungers. It has been so long since he spilt human blood. I have deprived him, but... The chest shook once again. But he will have to wait a few minutes longer, for I have unfinished business with Branksholm's heir, and... He wrestled May until she had to look him straight in the face. And I wouldn't let you miss it for the world. Solus called for his guards. He had them take Branksholm from the dungeon, and he himself dragged May upstairs. He looked out the window. No riders yet, May. Oh dear. Your rescue never came, did it? And no, they shall not find young Branksholm in this castle. And with that, he ordered the guards to take them both outside. Three guards and Solus took May and Branksholm out into the wood. Caw sounded above them, and May saw a bird circling overhead. The carrion crow alighted on a branch and watched them from above. Name the tree. Solus demanded of May. He was holding his knife at Brank's home, but the young man was not even looking back. May was being asked to choose the spot her love would die in. She couldn't even think. She simply hung in the arms of the guards, trembling. Name it, Solus spat. Or it will be here and now. The Alder. This was Brank's home. He pointed at a patch of alders over near the stream. Solus nodded, and he dragged the young man over to them. May watched helplessly as the wicked lord held poor Branks home against the tree. The branches around shook in the wind. But there was no wind. She looked to the side, and she saw what they had all missed. There were men stood around them, cloaked in the branches and leaves of the trees. They were walking towards Solus, causing the branches to shake. Now, a voice shouted. Solus turned, just in time to face the oncoming spear. It struck him through the chest. Before he could fall, another hit, and then another. He collapsed backwards. His soldiers drew their weapons, but the woods erupted with men. They were outnumbered more than ten to one. When the fighting had ended, the spearmen stooped over Solus's prone form to retrieve their spears. As the last took his back, the Lord rose suddenly and cut the man's throat. No one had expected this miraculous recovery, and in their paralysis, Solus ran. The king's soldiers tried to follow, chasing him back to the castle. One man from the back called for them to halt. He was holding a beautiful harp, and once all his men had ceased their pursuit, he turned to speak to May. He introduced himself as Thomas of Ursuldome. Once back in the castle, Solus ignored the remainder of his confused guards. Too late for them, he thought. He went down to the dungeon, and he ran into that room on the right. 
he got to the chest and he hammered three times on it. Once again, the padlock slid open. But this time, no figure rose from the chest. He didn't even wait, he just knocked again. And again, and again on that chest. But still nothing happened. Finally, he looked over the edge to see what was wrong. A shriek, so powerful that May heard it outside. Alas, whatever you raise your eyes, take a glimpse of me. Now for seven years, return no more, and consign to me the key. He took the chest's key, stood straight up, and with whatever hellish emotion now burned in him, he threw it behind him into the hands of that creature. When the king's soldiers came upon him, he looked angry, but not afraid. Their blades could not pierce him. Their ropes could not hold him. It took five of them just to lift him, but they bundled him out of that castle. And they carried him down into the village. He was brought to the glassmaker's workshop. Solus laughed when he saw the furnace. Do you think you will be able to burn me any more than you were able to cut or bind me? He sneered at Thomas in defiance. Thomas said nothing. Then Solus saw the sacks of sand that were lying on the ground around the soldiers. His eyes went wide. He struggled. He screamed. Nothing could save him now. May did not watch what they did to Solus, and neither did she like to imagine it. She was just glad to see him dead. She wanted only one more assurance before she felt safe. She wanted that chest consigned to the flames with its lord. But though she told Thomas all that she'd seen, his men never found the chest. Never, in the many, many years that have passed since, in the ages of any of the families who ruled that castle, was the chest ever seen again. Fathoms deep, hell's hunger sleeps, in hermitage underground. Avert your eyes if the lid should rise, and listen to the sound. Halloween special, The Warlock. Your storyteller today was Sebastian O'Dell. The theme tune was performed by Robert Bentel, with the use of additional music and sound effects from the community at freesound.org. 
Special credit is due to Freesound users Toilet Roll Tube, Satuniman, and Phono UFP, whose material we used extensively in this episode. You can find a full list of audio credits on our website. For more information on the lore behind the tale, visit us at www.loreandlegend.co.uk. A massive thank you to Paul Jackson, whose support on Patreon gives financial fuel to the development of our stories. How much do you value and enjoy episodes of Lore and Legend? You can help us to create even more episodes with more stories, research and music by contributing to the cost of making each episode. If you'd like to become one of our supporters, go to the Lore and Legend site and click on Support Us for full details. That's all for now, and once again, thank you for listening and for letting us tell our stories. Look out for another guest episode of Law and Legend next month, and our Christmas specials in December. <laughs>